Hello everyone, I'm your host Luke, and this is my co-host Gerard. How's it going everyone? And today we're covering Spring Heel Jack. He is a Victorian era, I guess, cryptid, um, almost, but he was a, said to be a man, and uh, he existed during the Victorian era and was said to be able to jump extraordinarily high. The first sighting of him occurred in 1837, where late, later sightings were reported from all over England, from London up to Sheffield and Liverpool. And I have no clue where those places are because I am obviously American. But they were especially prevalent in suburban London and later in the Midlands and Scotland. I guess I'd just like to say I like this character a lot more than the actual um, other one. I think we did a podcast on, on Jack the Ripper. Apparently these. Do you remember that one, Jared? Yes, I do. That was yeah. a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather be something more lighthearted like this. Many theories have been proposed to uh, his nature and identity, none of which have been capable of clarifying the subject, and it remains unexplained. Uh, so a general description of the man is... Springhill Jack was described by victims as having a terrifying and frightful appearance with diabolical physiognomy that include clawed hands and eyes that, quote, resembled red balls of fire. One of the reports claimed that beneath a black cloak, he wore a helmet and a tight-fitting white garment like an oil skin. Many stories also mention a devil-like aspect. Spring-heeled Jack was said to be tall and thin, with the appearance of a gentleman and capable of making great leaps. Several reports mentioned that he could breathe blue and white flames from his mouth, and then he wore sharp metallic claws on his fingertips. At least two individuals claimed that he was able to speak in comprehensible English. I mean, this guy's literally Satan. I mean, okay. But um, I'll kick it off to Gerard. Yeah, so <clears throat> Springheel Jack is an entity in English folklore um, known for his startling hops. First claimed sighting was in 1837. Later sightings reported all over Great Britain, um, prevalent in suburban London, Midlands, and Scotland. Uh, many theories about his nature and identity. Uh, this urban legend was very popular in its time due to the tales of his bizarre appearance and ability to make extraordinary leaps to the point where he became a, several, uh, the topic of several works of fiction. spring Jack was described by people who claimed to see him as having a terrifying and frightful appearance. The diabolical physigami, clawed hands, eyes that resembled red balls of fire. One report claimed that beneath a black cloak he wore a helmet and a tight-fitting white garment like an oil skin. Many stories also mention a devil-like aspect. Others say he was tall and thin with the appearance of a gentleman. Several reports mention that he could breathe out blue and white flames and that he wore sharp metallic claws on his fingertips. At least two people claim he was able to speak comprehensible English, like Luke was saying. And so we'll go into a little bit of uh, history uh, precedences. In the early 19th century, 
There's reports of ghosts that stalked the streets of London. Human, these human-like figures were described as pale, uh, stalked, and preyed on lone pedestrians. The stories told of these figures formed a part of distinct ghost tradition in London, which some writers have argued formed the foundation of the later legend of Spring-Heeled Jack. The most important of these early entities was the Hammersmith ghost, which in 1803 and 1804 was reported in Hammersmith on the western fringes of London. It would later reappear in 1824. Another apparition, the Southampton ghost, was also reported as assaulting individuals in the night. This particular spirit bore many of the characteristics of spring Jack and was reported as uh, jumping over houses and being over 10 feet tall. Whoa. <laughs> um, so can, did you want me to go into the early reports or did you want to mention can, something? Can, can I just add something to that? So this this is a timeless occurrence. Um, I I don't know if I've told you about these, Jared, but uh, there was a. This is quite recent. They're called ghost uh, taxis, and it's a phenomenon in Japan where uh, people, you know, this is closely or uh, relatively shortly after a pretty bad earthquake struck a couple towns in Japan. And people were reporting that um, ghost cab drivers were picking them up. So like... Cab drivers, whoa. Yeah. Like, it's not just like one or two people. It's multiple people. Um, But, you know, like... There's, like you were mentioning the ghost stories that what you said just made me think of that. And, you know, it's a, it's not just a older occurrence. It's, you know, still going on (laughs) modern day, but, um, I can talk about the, uh, first appearance if you want, uh, unless you want to. Yeah, the Terror of London. Yeah, go for it. Okay, um, so according to a pretty in-depth blog, the first, uh, quote, victim was a girl by the name of Mary Stevens that was returning to her employment in the Lavender Hill area, having spent time with her parents in Battersea. Once again, I am terrible with these locations, A, because I'm terrible at geography, but B, I know nothing about the UK. <laughs> so for all I know, this is on an island. <laughs> Passing... Well, the UK? Yes, it, it is an island, but, you know, there's like a lot of smaller uh, yeah, islands. Right. And so passing through Clapham Common, the girl was accosted by a strange figure who leapt at her from a dark alley. According to her, the man held her in a tight grip and kissed her face. He also ripped her clothes and pawed at it with claws as cold as those of a corpse. Her attacker fled when she screamed. Residents could find no such attacker when they searched the area. Uh, The same man supposedly attacked a second woman the following day, very near to Miss Stevens' attack. Eventually, the legend changed... The attacker would jump in front of a passing carriage, frightening the coachman and the horses and causing the coachman injury. He would then make his escape over a wall, 
while babbling with a high-pitched laughter, the press labeled the man Spring-Heeled Jack. Um, one was quoted as saying, The attacker was tall and thin, had pointed ears and fiery eyes, and wore a cloak. He tore at the victim's clothes and ripped their flesh with hands that felt like iron. When he escaped, he did not run. He bounced away. Those who saw his feet swore he had springs in his boot heels. <laughs> That's why they call him Spring Heel Jack. That would be hilarious to see. Just like this man with... Do you remember those moon boots as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I were to ever see Spring Heel Jack, I, I would be so tempted to make the sound effect boing, boing, <laughs> as he hops away. <laughs> well, you'd have to go to London, so I think you're safe. Yeah, you right. Uh, if you wanted to go. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so the first alleged sighting of Spring Hill Jack were made in London in 1837, as you were mentioning. Um, and said in most secondary literatures to have been made in Liverpool in 1904. Much later accounts, October 37th, a girl named by Mary Stevens, as you were saying, um, she was working as a servant, bada, 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 you mentioned all that. A commotion brought several residents who quickly launched a search for the aggressor but could not be found. <laughs> um, the official recognition. A public session at uh, Mansion House, London, circa 1840, a few months after the first sightings on January 9th, 1838, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cowan, revealed at a public session he held in the mansion an anonymous complaint that he had received several days earlier, which he had withheld in the hopes of attaining further information. The correspondent who signed a letter, A, a resident of Peckham, wrote, It appears that some individuals of, as the writer believes, the highest rank of life, have laid a wager with the mischievous and foolhardy companion, and that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises, a ghost, a bear, and a devil. Moreover, he will not enter a gentleman's garden for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted. The unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom were likely not to recover, but to become burdens to their family. At one house, the man rang the bell on the servant coming to open the door. Uh, this worse than brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a specter clad in almost uh, most perfectly. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned and uh, has never from that moment been in her senses. The affair has been going on for some time. Strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer has reason to believe that they have uh, the whole uh, history at their finger end, but through the interested motives are remained uh, are in, uh, induced to remain silent. Though the mayor seemed fairly skeptical, a member of the audience confirmed service girls about Kingston, Hammersmith, and e uh, Ealing uh, tell dreadful stories of this ghost or devil. The matter was reported in the Times on 9th of January, other national papers on 10th of January, and on the day after that, the Lord Mayor showed a crowd gathering a pile of letters from various places in and around London complaining of the similarly wicked pranks. The quantity of letters that poured into the mansion house suggested that the stories were widespread throughout uh, widespread in suburban London. One writer said several young women in Hammersmith had been frightened into a dangerous fit and some severely wounded at, by some sort of claws the miscreant wore on his hands. Another correspondent claimed that in Stockwell, uh, Brickton, uh, Camberwell, and Valhalla, 
Vauxhall. Several people had died of fright, and others had a fit. Um, meanwhile, another reported that the trickster had been repeatedly seen in Lewis, uh, Lewisham and uh, Blackheath. The Lord Mayor himself was in two minds about the affair. He thought the greatest exaggerations had been made, and that it was quite impossible that a ghost performs the feats of the devil upon earth. It, but on the other hand, some, uh, someone he uh, trusted had told him of a servant girl at Forest Hills who had been scared into fits um, by a figure in a bearskin. He was confident the person involved was his uh, f- uh, phantom mimi display and would be caught and punished. The police were instructed to search for the individual responsible and rewards were offered. A particular report from the Brighton Gazette, which appeared uh, 14th of April, 1843 edition of the Times, related how a gardener in uh, Rose Hill, Sussex, had been terrified by the creature of unknown nature. The Times wrote that the spring Jack has, it seemed, found his way to Su- uh, Su- Sussex coast. <coughs> Even though the report bore little resemblance to the account of Jack, the incident occurred on the 13th of April when it appeared to a gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. Having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl, it climbed the garden wall and ran uh, ran along it on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. Terrifying the gardener, the apparition scaled the wall and made its exit. Ooh. Interesting. <laughs> what do you got over there, Luke? Uh, so, once again, we're going into... Um, different apparently this is a very common um i guess motif or uh local folklore uh, similar entities have been reported around the world in chile one finds la viuda or the widow uh the spring man of prague parak is spoken of in czechoslovakia other names include Krampus, which is, I don't really understand because that's, isn't that like evil Santa Claus or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. The London, know. the London monster, uh, the owl man, the Jiang Shi, and the Jersey devil. That, the Jersey devil is, ah, oh, that is a weird story. Basically, they believe that a woman in Jersey in like what the 1600s or something gave birth to 12 kids. But then the 13th happened to be like a one legged demon chicken or something that flew out the, um, the chimney. Right. <laughs> What's that? Uh, G one G mentioned. I know I butchered that pronunciation. So it's a, Jiang Shi. I actually know this from a manga called a uh, Shaman King. Uh, Jiang Shi is a corpse that has been brought back to life or reanimated by using like a Buddhist sutra that um, they hang over uh, the you know the face. Yeah. So like the piece of paper is wide enough to cover like most of the face and long enough to go down to like the chin and they're um they hop like bounce hop or like kangaroo hop uh like just both legs like they're 
legs just, you know, hop like you're playing hopscotch or something. I, I, I mean, I've heard of like Krampus, um, and you know, we've talked about the Jersey Devil, but I haven't heard of La Viuda, the Springman of Prague, the London Monster, Owl Man. I mean, Owl Man just kind of, you know, kind of reminds me of like Mothman. You know, it's probably just something like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so in 1808, a letter to the editor at the Sheffield Times recorded recount how, quote, years ago, a famous ghost walked and played many pranks in this historic neighborhood. The writer went on to identify this entity as the Park Ghost or spring Jack and briefly described its ability to take enormous leaps and frighten random passerbys, but concluded, quote, Here's a human ghost as he ceased to appear when a certain number of men with guns and sticks uh, poked his skin. Which is weird because this letter, Jared, is like almost 30 years before, you know, the first quote-unquote recorded sighting of spring Jack. The view is given a name. After after his sightings, of course, but it was quite a few years afterwards. Like he's been seen around for quite a while before they actually gave him the name Spring Hill. Jack. Yeah, so it almost seems like this is a common at that time. Uh, what folklore? Um, folklore character yeah, like, character whatever cryptid. I I don't know. Yeah. It, or no, I I think you'd classify it as a humanoid sighting because usually, to me, cryptids are, aren't human-like. Oh, okay. I see. What, I see the way you're kind of like differentiating the two. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 He is very human-like, though. You, you you know, like Bigfoot. Is it? Would you say it's cryptid? I mean, you know, like to me, the Loch Ness monster is a cryptid. <laughs> But, like, Bigfoot is, like, a humanoid-ish thing. I, I don't know. Humanoid cryptid. Yeah. Or something. Whatever. Yeah. I I, I see what you're saying. Um, that makes sense. In this case, spring Jack is apparently, like, 10 feet tall. So, he's huge. But he does have a lot more similarities to a human, though. Well, he, he sounds like a... He, he either sounds like Satan or a demon, right? Yeah. You know, like a very stereotyped image of a, um, like the devil. Yeah, devil. You know, he can breathe fire. He can almost fly or whatever. He's mischievous. Yeah. Um. So I guess we'll go into their the more famous victims. Um, if you want to mind me reading that. Yeah, I have the uh, Alsop case and the Scales case. Okay, why why, why don't you do the Alsop case, and I'll do the other one. Okay, Scales? Okay, sounds good. Jane Alsop reported that on the night of uh, 19th of February, 1838, she answered the door of her father's home to a man claiming to be a police officer who told her to bring a light, claiming we have caught the Spring Hill Jack here in the lane. She brought the person a 
candle and noticed that he wore a large cloak. The moment she handed him the candle, however, he threw off the cloak and presented the most hideous and frightful appearance. Vomiting blue and white flames from his mouth while his eyes resembled red balls of fire, Miss Alsop reported that he wore a large helmet and uh, that his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, resembled white oil skin. Without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her um, down with his claws, which she was certain were made of some metallic uh, substance. She screamed for help and managed to get away from him and ran towards the house. He caught her on the steps and tore her neck and arms with his claws. She's rescued by one of her sisters, uh, after which uh, her assailant fled. (laughs) Interesting. So she got pretty beat up from it. These are so crazy. (laughs) Like, like why people even believe this. Um, So now we go to the Scales case. On February 28th, 1838, nine days after the attack on Alsop, 18-year-old Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting their brother, who was a butcher who lived in a part of Limehouse. Miss Scales stated in her deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley, I want to say Diagonon Alley (laughs) from Harry Potter, (laughs) they observed a person standing in an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurred a, quote, quantity of blue flame in her face, which deprived her of her sight, and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits, which continued for several hours. God, that's terrifying. What? Her brother added that on the evening in question, he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they had left his house, and on running up Diagonal Alley, he found his sister Lucy on the ground in a fit with their sister attempting to hold and support her. She was taken home, and he then learned from his other sister what had happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being of tall, thin, and gentlemanly appearance, which I didn't know gentlemen could breathe fire, but whatever. Covered in a large... Yeah. Covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or bullseye lantern, similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak, nor did he try to lay hands on them, but instead walked quickly away. He didn't jump, though. Every effort was made by the police to discover the author of these and similar outrages, and several persons were questioned, but then were set free. Oh, it's so nice to see that the police were just as um, effective back 200 years ago as nowadays. Um, Let's see. Do you want to go on, or do you have one? Um, So the legend spreads. So this is kind of like how the uh, legend for him spread. Um, I could talk about that if you'd like. Yeah. Okay. The Times reported the alleged attack on Jane Alsip on March uh, 2nd, 1838, under the heading of the late 
outrage at Old Ford. This was followed by an account of the trial of one of uh, Thomas Milbank, who immediately after the reporting on uh, reported attack on Jane Elsip also or had boasted in the Morgan Arms that he was Springfield Springheeled Jack. He was arrested and tried at Lambeth Street Court. The arresting officer was James Lay, who earlier arrested William Corder of the Red Barn Murderer. Milbank had been wearing white overalls and a great coat, which he dropped outside the house. The candle he dropped was also found. He escaped conviction only because Jane Elsip insisted her attacker had breathed fire, and Milbank admitted he could do no such thing. Most of the other accounts were written long after the date. Contemporary newspapers did not mention them. <clears throat> An ad for spring Jack, Penny Dreadful. Ooh, interesting. Um, after these incidents, spring Jack became one of the most popular characters of the period. His alleged exploits were reported in the newspaper and became subject to several penny dreadfuls and plays performed in the cheap theaters that uh, abounded at the time. Devil was even renamed uh, spring Jack in some Punch and Judy shows, as recounted by Henry uh, Mayhew in his London Labor in London Poor. Here is Satan, we might say, the devil, but that ain't right, and uh, gentle folks don't like such words. He is now commonly known or called spring Jack or the Ro- uh, Rosen Bear since that war. <clears throat> Excuse me. But even as his fame was growing, reports of spring Jack's appearance became less frequent as more, if more widespread. In 1843, however, a wave of sightings swept the country again. A report from North Hampshire described him as a very image of a devil himself with horns and eyes of flames. In East Angola, uh, reports of the attack on drivers of mail coaches became common. In July 1847, a Spring Hill Jack investigation in Tenetmouth, uh, Devon, led to a uh, Captain Finch being convicted of two charges of assault against women, which he said he... Uh, he's, is said to have been disguised in a skin coat which had the appearance of a bullock hide, a skull cap, and horns and mask. The legend was linked with the, linked with the phenomenon of the devil footprint which appeared in Devon in February 1855. The last reports. In the beginning of 1870, Spring Hill Jack was reported again in several places distant, uh, several places distant from each other. In November 1872, the News of the World reported that Beck... Peckham was in a state of commotion owing to what is known as the Peckham Ghost, a mysterious figure quite alarming in appearance. The editorial pointed out that it was none other than the spring Jack who terrified a past generation. Similar stories were published in the Illustrated Police News, and in April and May 1873, there were numerous sightings of the park ghost in uh, Sheffield, which locals came to identify as spring Jack. Interesting. What did you have? Um, no, no, no. Um, I wanted to go into some of the paranormal explanations for him. Uh, yeah, go for it. We could use that to end the podcast. We're probably getting close to that 40 minute mark, right? Right, 27. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds good to me. But, um,. You, you, why, why don't you cover the more, uh, like, where they accused, um, like, the Marquise of Waterford, Henry de la Poor Beresford? Beresford. Yeah. Yep. Why don't you go into that I, one? Um, sweet. Uh, so, all, I, I want to do mine first. A common hypothesis proposes spring Jack is an extraterrestrial entity. Somehow stranded on Earth. I love this. 
Supporters of this theory believe this would explain his non-human appearance and features, retro reflective eye, red eyes, or phosphorus breath. So basically, he's a reptilian, which is awesome. His jumping ability by suggesting that he may have been a native of a plant with greater gravitational pull, like astronauts experience jumping on the moon. Strange behavior. Um... which could have been altered through some kind of syndrome or as a result of breathing in the vapors present in the Earth's atmosphere and its longevity. Because it seems like, at least what we have access to, there were sightings from as early as 1808 to 1870s, right? Yeah, 1872 was like the last sighting. Yeah. Um, another one is he was a visitor from another dimension who could have entered into this plane through a wormhole or dimensional gate. So he's basically an ancient alien 200 years ago. Or he was a demon accidentally or, or purposefully summoned into this world by practitioners of the uh, occult or who made himself manifest simply to create spiritual turmoil. So he was either an alien, mainly a reptilian. He was a multi-dimensional being that got here through a wormhole, you know, like Stargate. Or he was literally a devil summoned by a cult. I love it. I like the alien theory the most. That was there's, there's no, there, there's no, there's no other explanation. It must be one of those. Yeah, it must be one of those. Okay, so now you can get to your boring explanation. How dare you? Yeah. Uh, skeptical investigators have dismissed the story of the Spring Hill Jackass mass hysteria, which developed around various stories of a boogeyman or devil, which have been going around for centuries, uh, or from exaggerated urban myths about a man who clambered over rooftops, claiming he was the devil was chasing him. Henry de la Porte Beersford, third Marquis of Waterford. Other researchers believe that some individuals may have been behind its origins, being followed by imitators later on. Spring-Heeled Jack was widely considered not to be a supernatural creature, but rather one or more persons with a macabre sense of humor. This idea matches the contents of a letter to the mayor, uh, um, to the Lord Mayor, which accuses a group of young aristocrats as the culprits. After an irresponsible wager, a popular rumor circulating as early as 1840 pointed to an Irish nobleman, the Marquis of Waterford, as the main suspect. Hanning, uh, Hanning suggested that this may be due to him having previously had bad experiences with women and police officers. The Marquis was frequent in the news in the late 1830s for drunken brawls, brutal jokes, and vandalism, and was said to do anything for a bet. His irregular behavior and his contempt for women earned him the title the Mad Marquis. It's also known that he was in London area by the uh, time the first incident took place. In 1880, he was named as the perpetrator by Eco Bram Brewer, who said that the Marquis used to amuse himself by springing on travelers unawares to frighten them, and from time to time, others have followed his silly example. In 1842, the Marquis married and settled in uh, Curringmore House, uh, County Water, uh, Waterford, 
um, and reportedly led an exemplary life until he died in a riding accident in 1859. Um, skeptic investigators have asserted that the story of the Spring Hill Jack was exaggerated and altered through mass hysteria, a process in which many psychological issues that may have been contributed to uh, both contributed um these include unsupported rumors superstitious oral traditions sensational publications uh, folklore and rich tales of fairies and strange roguish creatures gospel gossip gossip gospel, how do you pronounce this word g-o-s-s-p-i-i-p what gossip gossip of alleged leaping and fire spitting powers his alleged extraordinary features his reputed, uh, reputed skill in evading apprehension um, captured the minds of the superstitious public, increasing so with passing of time, which gave the impression that the spring Jack suffered no effects from aging. As a result, the whole urban legend was built around the character being reflected by contemporary publications, which in turn fueled this popular perception. Interesting. Okay, so I, I would just like to go into... Like with the scales case, Jared, there's the, uh, um, you, you know how she described it as he opened his cloak and there's quote, a quantity of blue flame that I guess like, like flared out and like, it seems like struck her, right? Yeah. Or at least caused her to like freak out and to go into fits. So, you know, this is the 1800s, and, you know, it would have to be something pretty simple, you know, if we're thinking of a, uh, you know, like a way to explain this, right? That he might have just been a normal man. Because, like, yeah. she she doesn't mention that, um, like, he, he didn't even hop away, he just ran away. So, like, they're saying the only supernatural thing that happened with that encounter was the the quantity of blue flame. So, uh... Burning red eyes. What? Uh, what about the burning red eyes? Okay, well, yeah. I mean, maybe they had contacts, right? I don't think they had contacts back then. Why, why don't you look that up while I'm talking about this? Uh, cont contacts in uh, Victorian London. Um, so what's the best way to make a fire flare up theatrically? Um, so one guy uh, added, you could throw an oxidizer on it, like a handful of potassium nitrate. Uh, let the fire zone fuel create the flare. Never use gunpowder or gasoline. Um, another is... The best way is to use something that can quickly burn up with a lot of brilliance, though no real risk of harm, which sounds like she wasn't harmed at all. She just freaked out. Things like rice paper are good, as are things like powdered and dried products such as fine flour, which is, you know, two things that some prankster or whatever would have had access to back then. In the latter, you need to be careful it is not clumped as clumps could burn far longer, resulting in catching things uh, on fire. So in short, make sure it is dry and sifted. So like, um, you know, if this guy, if, you know, wasn't the guy's first rodeo with doing something like this, it's, 
you know, possible that the guy had something like that, right? Like some kind of contraption to make it the fire, like, A, produce a blue flame, but also, like, flare out temporarily. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, um, what what were you going to say about contacts? Um, yeah, so contact lenses were actually... Um, they were actually invented by the mathematician and inventor Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, okay, 1452 so... 1452 to 1519. Wait, I'm not done yet, though. Those were only... Su- those were only sketches. Those were only sketches suggesting that the optics of the eye could be altered by placing the cornea directly in contact with water. Um, but the real and true contact lenses were not developed until um, uh, 1827. English astronomer uh, proposed the idea of making molds of a person's eye. Such molds would enable the production of corrective lenses that can conform to the front of the eye surface. But it was more than 50 years later that someone actually produced such lenses. Um, it's, there's some controversy about who first do it, did it. Some say the German glassblower F.A. Mueller um, used Hendrik's uh, Hershik's idea to create the first known glass contacts in 1887. So they came around too late to be contacts because that was in 1840. But the first ones that were actually produced and created were 1887. And then the first one that was fitted and used to correct vision problems was in 1888 by Adolf uh, E. Fick and Paris. Huh. And uh, Eduardo Colt. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of where that comes into play. So it's it's not possible. Yeah, it, it would have been too late. Yeah, 1887 is when they actually made it. Um, up until that point, it was just an idea or sketches by Leonardo da Vinci. Or uh, the astronomer Sir John Herschel. Right. Okay. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm not advocating this. I'm just trying to. Um, I looked up how to make your eyes red. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so one is to. Um, I'm going to say it indirectly. A certain plant um, that makes your eyes dilated. If you if you know what I mean. If you catch my drift. Yeah, if you catch my, I guess, um, herbs. And then... My herbs. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Nice, nice. <laughs> okay. And then another thing is... Uh, if you're using a method that involves rubbing the skin around the eyes to induce redness, be sure to not to touch the naked eyeball itself. Even if you manage to avoid injuring it, this runs the risk of transferring bacteria from your hands to the eyeball, which can lead to infections. Um, so like, I, I'm, I'm, it it sounds like it was a very quick um happening, right? Yeah, it, it seems like he kind of just appeared for a couple of years and then disappeared. Well, no, with this scales case at least, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. these were all very very quick 
and um, with his eyes. I'm I'm not saying they were, but isn't it possible his eyes could have just been very bloodshot? True, because it is late at night, and when people don't get enough sleep, their eyes tend to go bloodshot. Right. And if it was someone pulling these practical pranks, um, more than likely they had a very bad sleep schedule and to be up that late and they probably just weren't sleeping that well. So maybe they just had really red inflamed eyes. Who knows? Right. So what, um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Jared, but like, um, my mom will sometimes get, uh, her, uh, eyes, you know, so bad when they're bloodshot. I think this has happened to me too, where, you know, like a capillary burst. Yeah. And like, I, I shit you not, like an entire portion of your, what what is that, your iris, you know, the white part? Cornea. Cornea turns red. You you, you yeah, can look it up if you don't believe me, but like if, an, if your eyes are bloodshot enough and like a, like a couple of capillaries burst, so, you know, it's like just bleeding... Your eyes yeah. can turn red. Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, so there's blood vessels, um, and it looks like the, let me see, where's the white of your eye? The conjunctivitis, maybe, or the, so there's the lens, and then there's the white part of the eye. The scleria, either conjunctivitis or the scleria, one of those two, but yeah, one of those, uh, one of those things pops, the retinal blood vessels pops in your eye and it just leaks that blood in there and you can see it. Oh, okay. So the, um, yeah, the, the okay. So the name for what I'm describing, Jared, that I've only seen like once or twice is called a sub conjunctival hemorrhage. Oh, geez. So is not fun. It, it it's a it's just a very complicated way of saying you know like the those capillaries burst so they're bleeding. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, I do. Okay, I'm I, I'm not saying that's what what the guy had, but you know I'm just saying that that's one possible explanation. True. True. Yeah. I'm just trying to see where I saw those red eyes. So yeah, vomiting blue and white flames from his mouth while his eyes resembled red balls of fire. Red balls of fire. Mm. Right. I mean, I'm 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 also saying they could have like uh was wearing a mask or something too. Like they could have been uh not not lying, but, you know, like, playing up what they actually witnessed. Yeah, because out of fear and everything like that. Yeah, or they just want to tell a better story or whatever, but I don't know. Because they, they were the only ones that saw it, so they could basically describe them however they wanted, right? Right. Um... I, I think we'll end it there. Um, uh, it's a pretty fruitful, we're at 43 minutes, so, yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot. That was really interesting. Yeah. I I didn't know much about him beforehand. Yeah. Well, now you know, I kind of knew, but um, now our viewers know too.
Yes. Not viewers, listeners. But anyways, yeah. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Um, I'm your host, Luke, and uh, this is my co-host, Gerard. Gerard, hey, yo. Hope you guys have a uh, great day, night, evening. Um, and uh, thank you guys for watching. Hopefully you guys listen to the whole end. And remember, Jesus loves you. The, the, um, I, I don't know. Whatever. I'm, I'm not religious. Whatever. Have a good night. Peace.